0: How do you decide which heifers to select or sell? Visual inspection alone leaves a lot to chance. Back your hunch with Inherit Select from Zoetis. You gain valuable predictions including cal fertility, size and soundness, feed efficiency, growth and carcass merit, as well as easy to use economic indexes. This improves your selection, breeding and marketing decisions. Request a call at InheritProgress.com and ask about free TSUs to get you started.
1: Paid for by America First Legal. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Bronco's Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's
0: time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in everybody to the Huddle Up Podcast presented as always by Mile High Huddle. And 24-7 Sports, powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. And with me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him and love him as your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, literally, I think you could even argue that the one position group, from a starting perspective, the Broncos could not really afford to suffer an injury. It happened. Day one, Todd Davis goes down. You got Josie Jewell and then nobody else. Now, you know, a few pods ago, we,
2: we touched on what free agents the Broncos might sign, and I said I, I'm not comfortable with the, with the depth they have. I, I didn't like the fact they ignored it in free agency in the draft this offseason, and this is why. Because they're one injury away from having no one start next to Josie Jewell, who's still kind of an unknown himself, Chad. He's still, you know, he's not a complete player. He's only in his second year, and as now is a full-time starter. Um, it's not... It's not the best situation, though. You know, Davis is not going to be out for more than, you know, four weeks or so. But it's it's a prime opportunity, I guess, for Joe Jones, Alexander Johnson, Justin Hollins. But none of those guys are... Um, you know, proven players. And, and the depth they have behind them, there's no veteran experienced guys. So this is what I was talking about, and this is my biggest fear. And another lower body injury, Chad, an extension from last season under Lauren Landau with all those lower body maladies, it
0: continues already on day one of camp. So it's not the greatest start. Yeah. It doesn't portend well, and let's just hope it's it's an outlier, but I guess three to four weeks he'll be sitting out, Josie Jewell, from what I was told is that – Basically look for Alexander, the player formerly known as A.J. Johnson, to probably get the first opportunity to at the plate, basically, with with Davis on the sideline. So we'll see what happens, but the coaches, again, like, you know, fan base and media analysts don't really seem to have a lot of faith in Johnson. He's kind of written off casually as not being a scheme fit, written off casually as not having coverage chops, so to speak, but... The team, clearly, he's one of those players, Zach, that I think the team internally views him differently than maybe some of the outside perception. And I think he's going to get the first, the first shot, as you said, Keyshawn. Justin Hollins, I think it's too soon to throw him in, but you never know. We'll see. Joseph Jones is my dog, though. I wish he would get more of an opportunity to you know, show, show what he can do, and maybe this is that, that sliver of opportunity that he might need to impress his new coaches. Well, the thing is, when when Davis missed some time in
2: the uh, mandatory minicamp last month, his wife went into labor. It was Joe Jones working with the first-team defense. So, Chad, you might get your wish there. Uh, He might slide in right next to Josie Jewell and and get some premium opportunity he wouldn't get otherwise. But, yeah, they're going to use, I think, a platoon. They have Biaria, They have Hollins, who they're cross-training. They even have Dakota Watson who apparently has the best get-off of all time, according to Von Miller. So, you know, they have some horses to make up for Todd Davis, but the fact that he went down already on day one, like you said, it doesn't portend well to the overall injury bug aspect for 2019.
0: Yeah. The flip side to that coin is that guys like Philip Lindsey, Emmanuel Sanders, not so much Jake Butt. Did I hear anything in particular about him from day one? But. Lindsey and Sanders both received a lot of praise and just kind of buzz about them coming out of that first practice. And of course, we know they're bouncing back from injury. So hopefully, the Broncos kind of got this injury bug thing out of the way. That was the outlier, and now you know they can kind of settle in. Mm-hmm. But you also, I wanted to ask you, and we'll get to to the mailbag here in just a minute. But I haven't had a chance to read this as we sit down to record Friday's episode. You have the report, though, that the Broncos are interested in re-signing their seventh-round pick from last year, David Williams, who the team waived at the end of training camp last year. He spent a very short period on the practice squad before I think he was signed by Jacksonville, if I remember right. Yep.
2: Yeah, and that deal's already done. Apparently, according to some reports I saw on Twitter, he has re-signed with the Broncos. He passed his physical and in a corresponding move. They released offensive lineman Nathan Jacobson. I don't really understand this too much, Chad, considering he didn't show much last preseason. He's kind of a one-dimensional runner, a one-cut runner. And their backfield is set with the big three. And they have Devontae Jackson, the undrafted rookie, who's showing well. So I don't know what prompted this decision. I don't know if someone in the front office sees something in Williams or maybe he's just a camp body. But his chances of cracking the the 53-man roster are slim to none. So I don't really understand it.
0: Another thing about it that was interesting as it relates to why the Broncos signed or re-signed David Williams is that the undrafted rookie, Devontae Jackson, I was told by a few people who were at camp today that he looked good. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what the Broncos have envisioned there. I mean, maybe it's just simply that with both Lindsey and Freeman suffering injuries last year, they just want to hedge their bet, but if you roll with, well, five Running backs, because if if you end up carrying four actual tailbacks and then a fullback, that's five that you're accounting for on the 53-man roster. You're going to have to go light elsewhere. And being that that's really a position of strength for the Broncos, I I'll be stunned if they end up carrying more than three tailbacks and that fullback.
2: Yeah, I don't and and like I said, their players are locked in, so where if Williams fits into this equation I do not know. But it's been a weird offseason. Dakota Watson, Williams, Billy Wynn, these random old names are coming back to Denver and uh, it has to be the common denominator. Someone in the scouting department of the front office likes their abilities. It's the only thing I can think of.
0: Well, there is a reason the Broncos told Philip Lindsay on one hand during the before and during the draft they were gonna take him late. And ended up going with David Williams. Someone in the front office likes them, some David right. Williams. And, you know, maybe this is just a, you know, an epiphany. If he's going to compete with anybody, it's probably Devontae Booker. If anyone's currently under threat because of the signing of David Williams, it's probably Devontae Booker. But, you know, because just their similar size backs, you know, the biggest difference, I think, between those two, though, is that David Williams is probably a lot more cut out for the zone blocking scheme. He's a lot more, you know, he's very, he's known for having those quick feet, decisive cuts, and Devontae Booker, he's probably built more for the, you know, power gap scheme, pick, you know, you know what hole you're going to, get there as quickly as you can and explode, whereas in the zone blocking scheme, you're going laterally, you're going sideways, and you kind of have to have patience and vision to follow the line and then see the cutback lane and, and attack, and so, I don't know, I think if anybody should be worried, it's probably Booker. Yeah, and it surprised me because his skill
2: set, it, it, it blends well in this Broncos offense because he's the best pass-protecting running back. He's good as a pass catcher, and he's good as a runner. He has some fumbling issues, some durability issues, but we've always been Booker fans, Chad, and, and the Broncos have stuck by him, and I thought he had a, a pretty you know safe role carved out for this season. But yeah, I agree, if anyone in theory is going to be pushed for this last spot on the Broncos depth chart, it is Booker, but I'd be shocked if Williams made it and Booker didn't going into the season. Yeah,
0: I would too, especially after how strong Booker played last year as the third running back on the depth chart. And just really, from a quality perspective, it was his best season as a pro and— You know, he's entering a contract year, so the Broncos are probably just hedging their bet because even if Williams doesn't make the 53, he's got practice squad eligibility. So they could stash him for, you know, and hedge against the future, basically. But we got a lot to get to today. Obviously, very active day one of Denver Broncos training camp from Thursday. We'll see how much of that we're able to get to on today's show and also your questions. But first... Make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod. That is the best way for you to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with your Denver Broncos and with the Huddle Up Podcast in real time at HuddleUpPod. If you're on iTunes, we appreciate you leave us a creative review. And if you like what you hear, give us that five-star rating. And YouTube, keep the questions coming. Keep the likes, the comments. Subscribe. Click the bell if you want immediate notifications when we upload. Appreciate all you guys. All right, Zach, it is that time of the week where we take a peek inside the Mile High mailbag because Zach and I are your football priests, and each and every week we're here to offer you the absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And we'll start with the flood of questions that we received on YouTube. And uh, I guess we can start here with Gregory Miller on YouTube. Here's here's his question, Zach. He says, I've been watching the San Francisco 49er offense. I'm wondering, would they – the Broncos put Royce Freeman in the backfield and let Philip Lindsay run the jet sweep from the slot like mm. Emmanuel Sanders did last year.
2: Yeah, it, Scangarello actually talked about that specifically earlier this offseason when he was hired around that time. That that's one of the big things of of the NFL now. One of the big plays that it's trending toward are those little those little push sweeps that you just touch the ball to the running back. And it, Tavon Austin made it popular in college. And the Broncos have that dimension with Philip Lindsay. He is that explosive, and I fully expect Scangarello to use him in every capacity in the backfield as a receiver. He will be a playmaker in this offense, and that's also why I believe Freeman will get more carries. Technically, I mean his stats are going to go up because the Broncos. Have a plan to use Lindsay as a weapon, not just as a running back. And by product of that, you're going to have to have a running back, and that'll be Freeman. So, absolutely, I expect him to use on jet sweeps, jet tosses, uh, end arounds, fake plays. Lindsay is the playmaker.
0: Here's one from Jedi Joshua58. He is a VIP subscriber at MileHighHuddle.com. He says, Hey guys, I've been absent due to work in the offseason lull. Glad to hear you guys are having a good summer, and I've been reading and listening to everything. Who do you think benefits most from Todd Davis's injury? Is there any chance for Alexander Johnson? Is it Joe Denine, Joe Jones? Thanks guys. What's your answer for, for Josh here? Well,
2: Denine's interesting because he was a kind of a highly touted priority free agent, and if anything, this gives him a chance to just get some more snaps and maybe carve out a role in the practice squad, but in the immediate future, I think Josie Jewell is the biggest benefactor because he's the man now in the middle for as long as Davis is sidelined, and then it gives the opportunities to some of the younger guys. Joe Jones, I think, will get the first crack. Then you have A.J. Johnson. Hollins will get some reps at OLB and ILB. It's good for the younger players, but I think the best-case scenario for Josie Jewell, considering how fans you already talked him up already and kind of has his for him in his defense.
0: Yeah, I think that Alexander Johnson, if you're thinking about guys lower on the depth chart, we touched on it a little bit at the top of the show. I think he is who the Broncos have in mind, the first guy into the breach, but don't sleep on Joseph Jones. As, as Zach mentioned, he was the guy that was was there first when Davis spent some time away. However, that was with a different coaching staff. So I think that the, the playing field for the most part has been leveled and it's uh, every man for themselves in terms of proven who deserves that expanded opportunity in light of Todd Davis's injury? So we'll see how that shakes out. Next question comes from JL Avenger 23 on YouTube. He says, hi guys, every time I see an analysis or preview regarding teams, they all put the Broncos last or underperforming. I get that because of the last two or three seasons and even already calling Drew Locke another QB bust by Elway. This year, I see another mentality and I have way better expectations, especially with the new coaching staff. Those are real coaches now. I can see the Denver. I can see Denver fighting for a wild card at least in over 500. Even though the schedule, of course, is, is second worst in terms of strength of schedules. What can you say about all those negative previews for 2019? Could we be a a black horse this year? A dark horse? No pun intended. Mile high salutes from Costa Rica. Keep up the great effort, guys. Appreciate you. All right. So I'm on record on this that I think the Broncos are going to surprise some people here and. And I can uh, riff off, but what's your answer for JL Avenger twenty three, Zach? I think
2: surprise is relative, and I think it's all subjective as to what defines a good season. For me, I don't necessarily think playoffs are on the cards, but eight and eight, nine and seven, maybe ten and six—that's that's a giant step up from the last couple years, and that would be successful to me. Especially if you can bring along either Flack or Lock in their development. Uh, but the negative press and the negative uh, bashing by the media, it only fuels the Broncos. Chris harris Jr. talked about it. They love being the underdog and, and being disrespected. It fueled them to a title in 2015, and they're going to use it again this year. Plenty of bulletin board space in Dove Valley right now, and it's being filled one by one with all these 2-14 and 14 predictions and these the, the rankings of their coaching staff and the roster. They read all of that. They see all of that, and it feeds into uh, their motivation for the season. Uh, they're going to surprise some people because I think people, like uh, Seth mentioned, Chad, on our, on our one of our last shows, they're not being taken seriously in the division, in the NFL, and if teams take them lightly or sleep on them, they can cause some problems. So in that sense, they will have a productive year. In that sense, they will catch some people off guard. But playoffs, I don't want to go that far just yet.
0: Here's one thing that has really struck everybody who covers the Denver Broncos and has really paid close attention to this team, seen it up close over the last, let's just say, three to five years. Everybody saw the championship model that was established by Gary Kubiak, and even though he was only the head coach for two years, that kind of faded away and became almost a distant memory that I think a lot of guys in media and gals kind of forgot about because of how bad things got and kind of that you know, miasmic cloud that was over the Broncos during the Vance Joseph era. With Vic Fangio's arrival and his coaching staff, the scales are falling off the eyes of people up close watching this team. And what is being said is, oh my gosh, we are seeing now what a competent veteran, experienced, knowledgeable coaching staff is all about. We, we almost forgot, you know, because Vance Joseph and his staff, the way they did things, seeing it so quickly in comparison to what now Vic Fangio and company are bringing to the table, it is a stark, stark contrast and a grim kind of reminder of really how bad things were under Vance Joseph. John Elway probably had his gut was correct after 2017 to fire him then and there. I mean, he knew what was what. The stars, the circumstances just didn't quite align in terms of approval above him on the on the corporate chain from, from Joe Ellis. And this time around, though, he... Bait basically as quickly as he could with the season in the in the rear view and moved on because that's that was just never going to change. Zach, I think Vance Joseph could have been the head coach in Denver for the next 10 years. And, I mean, you would have seen sub-500 football yeah. each and every season. So Vic Fangio, he's bringing it back. And then you combine that with veteran leadership at the quarterback position, experience at the most important position on the field, some depth, and some excitement at the quarterback position. And then just the upgrades that they've made at the personnel level. And I really do, Zach. I think the Broncos could surprise some people. And I don't think it's out of the question. Even with that second toughest strength of schedule in 2019, I really don't think 10-6 and six is out of the question for this team.
2: You know, first of all, there, there's no comparison between Vic Fangio and Vance Joseph. It's, it's not even a contest at all. They're in different universes. And, you know, the Broncos, they made the right call firing him, obviously, bringing aboard Vic Fangio. If it doesn't happen this season, the playoffs, it will happen next season or the very short future. Uh, he's going to be the Broncos coach for a very long time. I'm going on record as saying that. He'll be very successful in Denver. There's just so many moving parts, though, for this season. So many new coaches and players and schemes, and all the stars have to align, and the injury bug has to stay away. And it's already biting him on day one. It's all going to come, come down to you, Chad. And my opinion has not changed from, from March. The fact that it all comes down to Flacco, he is the difference between eight and eight, which is a middling season, or ten and six, a potential wild card berth. It's if he can click, and they they think they have him in, in his prime, like Elway says, they can be a playoff team. But either way, with Vic Fangio
0: in charge, uh, the best decision Elway could have made after that major major disaster with Vance Joseph. Yep, and I concur 100%. I mean, Fangio's is going to stabilize this thing. He's going to basically bring respectability and a competitive edge back to the Broncos. That defense is going to wreak some havoc. Broncos have talent at the skill positions. The offensive line, I can promise you, is going to be better. We'll see how the the injury bug affects that, you know, moving forward. But what it really boils down to in terms of a fair to middling season and missing out on the playoffs and making it to January football, it really does devolve and come back the onus being on Joe Flacco. So we'll see. We'll see whether or not there's some something special to the Mile High Magic and, you know, the quarterback position and the just the juice that comes with that as a Bronco and whether or not that can maybe elevate Joe Flacco in his 12th season as a pro. Now, this next question, Zach, comes from Paul at Paul826 on Twitter. He says, and by the way, both he and Joshua mentioned you know brought up the lower leg issue and it being another the you know the first injury in camp is lower leg and it just seems to be continuing with the strength and conditioning coaches the questions continue to swirl but paul says this will the broncos add an inside linebacker with todd davis out for a month now we don't know yet but what's your answer for paul
2: no, I mean, they had multiple chances this offseason to bring one in, just even as depth. And uh, the only pick they used was Justin Hollins, and they picked up Jones Joe and So. They like who the players they have on the roster. That's one thing they made clear this entire offseason. So um, I don't suspect anyone from the outside to come in. They still have Sua Cravens, Will Parks, who can play that dimebacker role. They have many young backup types they want to see. So, no, I don't anticipate the Broncos uh, signing a free agent inside linebacker.
0: I mean, how big of a deal, and this is a rhetorical question, but how big a deal do you really think it is for one of your top two linebackers to be out or miss some time? Because if you think about it, how often are the Broncos actually in base defense where you've got both inside linebackers on the field? Maybe my my just a rough estimate would be 25-30% of the snaps. The rest of the time, it's one linebacker and a dimebacker, a safety, dropping down and playing that that linebacker role. So in that sense, if the Broncos had to play a regular season game on Sunday, they could probably find a way to get by. However, I think what's going to happen, getting back to Paul's question, is I think they're going to see how the next guys up to the plate handle the next day or so. And meanwhile, I think they're combing the street and the guys they know who are available out there. And if they don't like what they see in terms of really feeling confident in what Alexander Johnson, Joseph Jones, those guys bring to the table, running with the first-team defense, I wouldn't be surprised if over the weekend you see them bring in some tryouts or sign somebody. But I think they'll give it a day or two before they come to any conclusion while, while hedging and, and doing their research. Now, we still have a few more questions we want to get to for you guys here in the Mile High Mailbag. First, though, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All
0: right, Zach, let's get to another question here in the mailbag. It comes from Stony Neff on YouTube. He says, my question is, what do you think the Broncos' biggest weakness is going into the season? I think it's middle linebacker. Hopefully, Vic Fangio can work his magic with what we have. Would you concur, Zach, or do you? does your opinion differ in terms of the, the biggest weakness on this team? Uh,
2: no, I do concur with that. And uh, among the starting players inside linebacker, I was not crazy. As I mentioned multiple times, including tonight with the Broncos just totally avoiding that position in the draft and with Devin Bush and, and free agency, a couple options they had there. I am not the biggest Todd Davis fan. I am also not a fan of the Broncos not having depth along the offensive line. I think that's a weakness. Uh, tackle, uh, guard, uh, center with Connor McGovern as the full-time starter now. They have depth issues at those spots, and you know that's going to come back to bite them if they don't rectify that, and that's why I wanted them to do that this offseason. So by far and away, uh, inside linebacker and some spots along the offensive line are their biggest weaknesses.
0: Just for the sake of parody, I'll say also, I'll throw in there as a weakness, is just offensive line depth. It's not that the Broncos don't have options behind the starting five. I mean, there are some guys. However, in terms of proven depth, it's pretty, it's pretty slim. It's pretty lackluster. You got Elijah Wilkinson now has seven starts under his belt. Solid. You know, it's not ideal, <clears throat> but it's solid. You've got Barkley. Don Barkley's got something like 25 starts in the NFL at tackle, mostly right tackle and a little left tackle and a little right guard. And then you got Chaz Green, who's, I think, started five games in the NFL, followed by probably the next guy up would be Sam Jones, who I think the Broncos are basically viewing as the backup center this year. So that's my biggest concern, and not so much interior depth, Zach, but just that swing tackle still is just nagging at me. I
2: mean, let me just tell you, when Chaz Green and Don Barkley are your, your top reserve tackles, I mean, you're in a pretty bad situation. For the longest time now, the Broncos just ever not able to groom a homegrown linemen who can step in at a moment's notice. They were kind of doing that with Billy Turner. Then he signed a big contract with the Packers. Yeah, depth there. And I would also mention tight end because there's just so many unproven players there. I do love Noah Fant, but he, I think he'll take a year or so to acclimate. Then you have just the match unit. All those players ended on IR last year, and I'm not crazy about any of the three. So uh, certainly depth at all those spots to the Broncos' biggest
0: weakness as it stands right now. All right, next question here comes from Eclipse Stormborn on YouTube, but he is also a recent VIP subscriber. So welcome to the manger, Eclipse Stormborn. His question here is, what is your guys' opinion on the Broncos signing wide receiver Stephen Dunbar Jr., formerly of the San Francisco 49ers? Zach, you had the report for our our website. What's your answer for Eclipse Stormborn? I
2: mean, I don't really have much of an opinion. He's a camp body, and he wouldn't have been signed if Aaron Berber didn't retire yesterday. But the Broncos are basically swapping one Scangarello pupil for another. He has some familiarity with him from this time with the Niners. But, you know, he's just a camp body. He'll be around for a couple weeks or so. And then when the final roster, if he even makes it that far, uh, he'll be cut.
0: One more here from Eclipse Stormborn. He says, uh, good afternoon, fellows. Great pod as usual. My question today is, can or will Sue Cravens play to the potential everyone expected last year? or do you think he'll be cut before the Final 53 is formed? Thanks, and keep up the excellent work. Your answer. Uh,
2: you know, I'm as most of the listeners know, I'm not the biggest uh, Sue Cravens fan, but he has the whole summer now to prove himself. And um, in this secondary with so many playmakers – And so many different players playing different positions, he can carve out a role as that dinebacker, especially now with Todd Davis on the shelf. But he's going to need to impress uh, Vic Fangio. He's going to have to show mental resolve and commitment to the game. All things he lacked last year, all things that kind of got by with Vance Joseph will not fly at all with Vic Fangio. Uh, So he has the next couple months to prove himself or else he will be cut. That's my prediction.
0: I think if, I mean, can Sue Cravens play to the potential everyone expected? Yes. He has the ability. He has the natural telling. You guys have heard me say before he's the best safety on the roster, not named Justin Simmons. Will he? As Zach said, it's just too early to tell. We don't know if he's progressed. You know, we don't know if he's matured. We don't know if the reality of his situation is has set in. We don't know how much he cares about football. So this summer should answer a lot of those questions, and it might take a couple of games into the preseason, but we should know because he's a player that when he was locked in, um, and I'm thinking coming out of USC in that first year as a Redskin, you know he was he's a he played with immense intensity. I mean he's a very physical, just flying around type of football player. Will he have that passion? Will he play with that pop, that intensity? We'll see. Does he have it in him? Absolutely. So it's on him. As Vic Fangio would say, that's up to him. All right, last question, and then we're going to get out of here for today, Zach. It comes from Stephen Baumgartner on YouTube. He says, how many sacks do you guys think Vaughn and Chubb will combine for? How many total yards also do you think Phillip Lindsay gets? Thanks. Uh, at, at
2: a minimum for Chubb and Vaughn, I, I see 20 sacks. At a bare minimum, 20 sacks. I think they can hit 30, even 40, though, that Atlanta's prediction from NFL.com. That's within reach. I, I do believe they're both Defensive Player of the Year candidates. They're going to blossom in Vic Fangio's defense, and the Broncos will lead the league or come close to leading the league in sacks this year with those two players. So I, I would venture optimistically to say 30, but 20, 25 at a bare minimum. As for Philip Lindsey, he'll clear 1,000 as a runner and a receiver I don't know um, in any one category if he'll hit 1,000, but he'll do well over 1,000, uh, 10 to 12 touchdowns total. He'll be that offensive playmaker all around. But the guy to watch his numbers go up is Royce Freeman. First and second down, he is locked in as that workhorse. They're going to kind of rest Lindsay this year and use him more as a playmaker. So but easily over 1,000 yards, easily 10
0: touchdowns uh, for that biggest offensive centerpiece. I think that Vaughn and Chubb are going to combine for somewhere between 25 to 30 sacks this year, which is, if you think about it, would also would be big seasons for both of them. I mean, last year what they do, 26 and a half they combined for. So, I think they'll come somewhere in that pocket if you set it as kind of a baseline and then, you know, kind of the expectation of a Fangio bump of some sort, maybe getting to 30, but we also have to keep it realistic. You know, tis the season for the bold predictions and I get all that, but I think it's fair Zach to say 25 to 30 somewhere in there. And then Philip Lindsay last year, if you add up his rush yards and you add up his receiving yards, about 1300 yards from scrimmage. Yeah. I think it's not outside the the bounds of of the possible to say, you know, to bump that number by 200, say 1500. And it wouldn't surprise me if he freaking blew that away and did something like 2000. It really would not shock me. However, the Broncos would be unwise in my humble opinion to push the envelope too hard with Philip Lindsay. He is a ball of energy. Joe Flacco marvelled at his energy and just his his buzz and just his his intensity on day one of training can't be talked about it. you know, comparing him to the energy that his kids have. And as a father and anyone out there who is a parent, you know, sometimes you're like, "Where is all this energy coming from from your kids? It's just like endless until they drop, right at night. Philip Lindsay brings that same type of excitement and energy so much so that it reminded Joe Flacco of his own kids. and he didn't say that in any kind of dismissive or you know, derisive way. He meant it as a compliment, that, that energy. But the Broncos, they just can't get over their skis on this. They got to play it smart. They got to play it safe. Keep his touches somewhere between 12 and 20 on a game-in, game-out basis. I think you kind of can walk that razor's edge, Zach, of getting the most out of Lindsey while also you know, keeping him fresh and not risking him unnecessarily to the vagaries of the injury bug.
2: Yeah, that's the thing, coming off that wrist. Uh, they're going to maybe be a little safer than sorry with him and not overextend him, but yeah, the numbers you mentioned I can definitely see, and I can also see him just pop off for another Pro Bowl season, just explode, but that's in the best-case scenario. One more thing, though, in terms of Vaughn and Chubb, I would almost be disappointed if they did not hit 30 sacks. That's how much talent they have and potential, and like you mentioned the numbers uh, last year, Chad, they they came close, so if they did that in year one together, 30 should be the baseline, and I would almost be Uh, dejected if they didn't hit that number they're in for huge huge seasons
0: by the way uh, dj johnson i see all of your awesome posts here on this thread unfortunately i'm reading through them and i just don't see any questions there so some uh some great insight though and uh, definitely entertaining posts there so keep that coming dj but hey you guys that's going to do it for today's episode of the huddle up podcast another great week of podcasting in the books for Zach and I. We're going to be back, of course, on Monday. And in the meantime, there'll be a fresh episode of Building the Broncos waiting for you on Saturday. So stay tuned for that. Make sure though you're following the show on Twitter with especially with training camp rolling. You don't want to miss out on anything at Huddle Up Pod. You can find my partner Zach Kelberman at Kelberman 24/7, who will be steadily pounding away all the stories and news that are coming out of camp on a day-in, day-out basis through the weekend. So make sure you're following Zach, myself, at Chad and Jensen, mostly bringing in the analysis after the fact as opposed to the news. That's how Zach and I complement each other as partners in crime. So make sure you're following us, and I think you'll be okay and get through this weekend. It's exciting. Broncos football is back. So enjoy it, you guys. Training camp is here. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you on Monday.